Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome. Wonderful to be in your company today and beautiful to be able to hear things so clearly. I hope you can hear a difference. The difference, of course, is that it is the month of Nisan and in the month of Nisan, miracles happen. Wonderful, wonderful things happen for all of us. The Jewish people do not say tachanun, we do not say penitential prayers. We stay away from eulogies and things that create sadness and misery. We focus on things that are positive and wonderful. And of course, a very, very positive move in this direction is that today, this show is coming to you live from the Chai FM studio. Yes, back in studio. If you can hear the difference, um, I'm sure it is making a kind of a difference to your ears because it certainly does to mine. I couldn't believe walking in here today just how loud and clear all the music is sounding. Everything sounds so different when things happen live. And in fact, isn't that actually what we should all be trying to head towards? Getting back to the live interactions, getting back to interpersonal relationships, um, bringing together people who unfortunately over the last couple of years have been so distanced. This is something of a great, great privilege and a wonderful day, certainly for me, to be able to come back into the studio to see the people who are actively involved in making sure that High FM comes to you live and loud and clear each and every day. And wonderful to be able to be back here on this Judaism 101.9 show today and looking forward to spending the next 45 minutes or so together with you and sharing some thoughts about Judaism 101.9, things that you need to know, things that you perhaps have forgotten, things that perhaps you need a little reminder about, but certainly things of interest to each and every one of us as we particularly look down not the barrel, but we're looking towards down the road, down the path, towards Pesach, which is literally now just around the corner. Let's begin by talking about today in Jewish history. Today is the fifth day in the month of Nisan. Believe it or not, we're already five days into the month of Nisan, which means there are only 10 days left until we will be celebrating Pesach. Pesach, of course, starting next week on Friday evening. And the 15th is actually the first day of Pesach. So 10 days to go till Pesach. The countdown is certainly on. But today, the 5th of Nisan has a very, very interesting mention in the Torah. The Torah itself has this incredible mention. And it's worked out, it's calculated that today was the day, actually, that Yehoshua, Joshua, sent the two spies, the two scouts that he sent to check out Israel shortly before we crossed over and inherited the land. Now, remember the history of it all. Remember that the Jewish people were in the desert. We had got out, uh, gotten, gotten into the desert coming out of Egypt um, a number of years before. We were meant to get to Israel a lot sooner, but were delayed along the way, primarily <coughs> through things like the worship of the golden calf and a a mistrust and a distrust in the leadership and a mistrust and a distrust in God and so on. And all of those things delayed us and made us, of course, wander in the desert for 40 years. And so now, 40 years later, Moshe Rabbeinu has left the Jewish people. Remember, he ascends the mountain. He doesn't come back. Um, We know that that happened on Zion Adar, on the 7th of Adar. The Jewish people all of them, because this great 
and most extraordinary leader who had taken us out of Egypt was now no more, the Jewish people mourned for a month. We know that traditionally, even today, periods of mourning are divided up, but one of the periods of mourning where we mourn for somebody perhaps who's not apparent in the literal sense is for 30 days, and 30 days later would have been the seventh day of Nisan. Now, it says that two days before the end of that period, Yoshua picked two um, leaders in their own right, two great men, Kolev and Pinchas, who he chose to go and to check out Israel, to find the path, the route that the Jewish people should take. It was a little different, very different from the spies that were sent by Moshe Rabbeinu, by Moses, all those years before, because the spies that were sent by Moshe, um, which caused us then to wander in the desert for those 40 years, came back with a bad report, but they went beyond their brief. They didn't do what they were told to do. They checked out the land in a very, very different way. And in fact, they came back and frightened the people about going there. They didn't want them to inherit the land at that stage. They felt perhaps, even if we judge them most favorably, they felt that it was a little too early. The Jewish people had just got the Torah. They wanted them to study it. They wanted them to learn more. And therefore, a delay was something that they really wanted to push for. But be that as it may, now you're sure. Those years later, sends the two spies. They go into Jericho. They go into Jericho. And famously, they were assisted and hidden by a woman called Rachov. She lived inside the city walls, and she later actually married Yoshua. Strangely enough, this is one of the strange twists and turns of Jewish history. She marries Yoshua, Rachov, this woman who hid the two spies and kept their cover. And of course, famously with the red uh, thread, the red uh, string, the rope that she put out of the window and so on. All of those things, of course, in this fascinating and incredible story. But believe it or not, Yoshua was sending those spies today. All those years ago, in 1273, before the Common Era, so that's 1273 before 2022, so you add that together and you get the number of years ago. Yes, it's a good three and a half thousand years ago, approximately, that uh, Yoshua sends these spies. They go and, of course, come back giving us the vantage points and giving us the access points and telling us exactly how we could and would conquer Jericho, conquer Jericho and inhabit, inherit the land of Israel. So, of course, this was really the first move, actually, for our real integration or our real acceptance into Israel um, all those years ago. It kind of was the moment, the day on which the uh, final stages of our sojourn in the desert were actually being put into process and our advent to Eretz Yisrael was about to happen. Now, if we think about how wonderful that is and prophetic and beautiful that is in the lineup to the way we uh, now look forward to Pesach and we now think about this month of Nisan, we talk about the month of Nisan being a month of Geula, it's a month of redemption. Of course, it was the month of redemption from uh, Mitzrayim, from Egypt. And of course, it's the month of redemption in which we celebrate Pesach. But just look at how many more layers there are, how much more there is actually in this month of Nisan that uh, makes it the month of open miracles, the month of open redemption, the month in which we were redeemed then. And certainly there is the uh, emblazonment and the emboldenment 
point of this special month, this month of Nisan, in all of us and in all our psyche and in all of our um, standing in uh, Judaism per se and uh, our times and our centuries and so on, that this month of Nisan has this incredible, incredible influence, this power of Geula, of redemption and of redemption not only from Egypt, but redemption that always kept on coming back and revisiting and being revisited by us. And in the same way as we say that in Nissan we were redeemed, we know that in Nissan, please God, we will be redeemed. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Great to be with you this afternoon. As we said, coming to you live from the Chai FM studios here and great to be with you in person. We're talking about the month of Nisan. And of course, in this month of Nisan, not only were Yeshua's spies uh, sent in order to go and check out Israel and tell us which way we could access it. And of course, therefore, kind of completed or it was the beginning of the end of our sojourn in uh, the desert and therefore the beginning of our real ultimate geula and acceptance of Israel and Israel's acceptance of us. Um, this, of course, happening as it did in the month of Nisan. But there are a number of other things that also uh, happened or uh, we celebrate during this month of Nisan. Now, of course, coming up on this coming Shabbat, on this coming Shabbos, uh, we celebrate the Shabbos that is known as Shabbat Hagadol. It is the big Shabbos. What is the big Shabbos all about? And what is so big about the Shabbos? In fact, if we take a look at it, it is a Shabbos on which we do not take out more than one Torah. We kind of back to the idea here of one Torah, not that there's anything insignificant about that, but it doesn't have that kind of bigness and grandeur from that point of view. So what is this about Shabbat Hagadol, this big Shabbos? Well, we're told that this was the Shabbos actually on which the Jewish people began their gula. The redemption from Egypt actually began on the Shabbos before. Um, we got out on that Shabbos, on that Shabbat, the word got out that the final plague in Egypt was going to be the plague of the death of the firstborn. Now, imagine if uh, you were a firstborn in Egypt and you heard that news and you're saying, hey, one second, this um, tyrannical ruler of ours, uh, Pharaoh, is playing with our lives. He has news, there is word out on the street that the death of the firstborn is going to happen. Um, we are the ones who are now going to suffer for his stubbornness. Why doesn't he just let the people go? What is the matter with this guy? Why is he holding on as he is for this uh, supposed dear life that he's holding on and keeping the Jewish people here? He's made us suffer already nine plagues. The tenth one is going to come and it's going to cost us our lives. It's not going to cost him his life. It's going to cost us our lives. He's going to remain alive. What kind of a business is this? And how can they be leading us literally up the garden path in this way? And in fact, a, a, the beginnings of a revolution broke out. Now, if we think about and we take a look, if you take a look at the history, for instance, of a country that is very, very dominant in the news at the moment of Ukraine, um, there was uh, a civil uprising several years ago, I think it was 2013 or thereabouts, where there was an uprising. And that uprising began with uh, people protesting. It was students protesting in the street. And once they had started with this protest and the police started firing on them and so on, uh, this was the beginnings of the revolution that eventually brought about the transition um, in the Ukraine that, of course, 
the Soviet Union of old and uh, people of the ilk and the like of uh, of Putin and his uh, men um, and women it certainly did not like and this was actually the beginnings of their revolution well a similar thing happened in fact in Egypt in Egypt the firstborn got word of the fact that they were going to be wiped out that they were going to be killed and in f- and they began their protest they began their in inverted commas revolution on the Shabbat before the Jewish people got out of Egypt. This was the beginning of the real action of our Geula, the beginning of the real action of our redemption. It began on that Shabbat. It was the Shabbat Hagadol. It was the big Shabbos, a big Shabbos in which big things happened for the Jewish people. Now, later on, it became known as the Shabbat Hagadol because it was the time that In uh, times gone by, certainly, and it happens still today, I guess, that on this Shabbat, the Gadol, the Godel, the uh, leader of either the generation or the leader of the community or the uh, rabbis and so on, um, expound upon and teach people all that they can possibly cram into this Shabbos to teach the people in shul about what they've got to do about Pesach. It's an amazing thing. We've done Pesach so many times, and yet there is so much to learn. There is so much to know, not only in the nuances of Pesach, but in the practicalities of Pesach. There is so much, uh, so many questions. If uh, knowing as a rabbi, as I do, um, over many years here in uh, Joburg, um, there are more questions that you get in the uh, halacha, in the Jewish law, in this period of time before Pesach, then you would get kind of combined over uh, the entire year there are so many questions questions about what uh, pots you need to use questions about what is kosher for Pesach questions about um, about the selling of the chomets and questions about all sorts of stuff to do with Pesach there is so much involved in Pesach if you take a look in Shulchan Aruch in the Code of Jewish Law there are literally fat huge volumes of halacha of Jewish law that pertains to Pesach much much more um, of course about Pesach than there is really about any of the other Chagim, any of the other Yomim Tovim, perhaps if we put them all combined together um, to see the kind of air time, the page time, and the, the written time that they're given in codes of Jewish law and so on, um, I'm sure that Pesach would outweigh all of the others combined, because there is so much to know. There's the preparation before. There is the time of, uh, there's the total changeover of your house, of your kitchen. There's the search for the chametz. There's the burning of the chametz. There's the sale of the chametz. There is the uh, the advent to the seder. There are all the rules and regulations about the seder. Then there's how much matzah you have to eat and how much uh, wine you have to consume and so on. All of those things pertaining to Pesach. And of course, then, what happens if you find chametz on Pesach? And what happens if you, um, it, it, you know, there is so many scenarios and so many nuances and so many different little um, uh, tidbits of information that are so necessary for us to be able to keep this chag, to keep this festival properly and to keep it according to halacha, according to Jewish law, that um, there is a fortune, a wealth of stuff that one has to actually be thinking about. And it was on the Shabbos before that when the rabbis um, had the opportunity to spend some time sharing with their communities and people were relaxed and in a mode whereby they could listen and they could hear that the rabbis gave so the gadol the great rabbi of the time or the great rabbi of that particular community would give a drosha a big drosha a drosha gadol a gudola a big 
um, speech that he made, and therefore it was known um, perhaps a little bit more sort of tongue-in-cheek as the Shabbat Hagadol. It was the time of the big speech. It was the time of the big um, instruction manual that was dished out, that was given out to the people at the time. But, of course, there is the idea of it being big. And the word big is in relation to everything else. Now, this perhaps has a symbolic and important um, uh, nuance for each and every one of us. The idea of big and the idea of small. Um, You know, the word big is a comparative kind of a word. We're only big in relation to something else um, because what is big? Um, I could show you something right now and you say, wow, uh, that is a big car. But if you see a much bigger car, well, then it's not such a big car. Um, I could show you a building and say that's a big building, but when it stands next to uh, the Empire State Building, it's a tiny building. So big is kind of relative. Now, one of the things that we're instructed in and that we think about, particularly at a time when we're thinking about Gula, when we're thinking about redemption, when we're thinking about getting out of Egypt and so on, we are actually in our own eyes as big or as small as we make ourselves. If we focus on the negativity and think of ourselves as being small, small in our own stature, small in our influence, small in our ability, we take a look at uh, something that we do and we say, well, I just did a small mitzvah. There is no such thing actually as a small mitzvah. The impact of a tiny little mitzvah can be huge. And we should rather be looking at and thinking about the bigness of these things, a big mitzvah and the big influence and the big um, space that we could occupy and the big role that we could play in uh, making the world a better place and the big role that we could play in our Jewish people and the big role that we, could, that we do play as a Jewish people in the world. This is the way that Jews need to start realigning themselves and refocusing. And perhaps that message comes to us on Shabbat HaGadol, no longer on Shabbat HaGadol, where we, the small, trodden upon, uh, browbeaten and backbeaten people who were slaves to Pharaoh. All of a sudden, we were empowered with a renewed energy, with an energy that made us big. Our footprint became much bigger. Our um, influence became much bigger. The fear of uh, those around us, of us, became much bigger. And it's something about um, this bigness of Shabbat HaGadol that actually needs to filter through, at least in a philosophical fashion, uh, to each and every one of us as well. On that score, we have coming up in the next couple of days, in the next few days, we have a very special occasion, certainly in the Chabad Hasidic calendar and, of course, in the Jewish calendar and the world calendar. And that is Yud Aleph Nisan, the 11th day in the month of Nisan, which is on Monday night and Tuesday of this coming week. What is that about? Well, that is the birth date of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Our Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, was born in 1902 in, believe it or not, the Ukraine. That is where he hailed from. That's where he came from. That was where he was born. And, of course, you've done the mathematics. 1902 to uh, 2022 means that it is the 120th birthday, the 120th year. Now, in the number 120, of course, each and every Jew immediately focuses on the lifetime of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, who we spoke about before, lived to be 120 years old. 120 is the bracha, is the blessing that we give to each other. May you live to be 
um, 120, may you live to be 120, may of Esrim, 120, it's a prophetic kind of a number and a very, very special number. Well, Hasidim all over the world um, have uh, taken this number 120 and uh, thought about the fact that it is an opportunity to gift the Rebbe with 120 different um organizations, most of us, um, and I think the numbers have climbed way, way above and beyond that. And uh, to try and start, whether it is a new school or a new uh, set of shiurim or it is a new library or it is a new Chabad house or a new offering of a particular Chabad house, shluchim, emissaries of the Lubavitcher Rebbe around the world are gearing up to present the Rebbe, so to speak, or to present in honor of this special date um, a number of new organizations, of new um, things that can um, speak for and can actually perform and help the betterment of the lives of the people around us, of our communities, of our Jewish community, and of course of the world out there um, in this significant and important way. The numbers are huge. The numbers are staggering and around the world. So many new initiatives. It is quite phenomenal. If quite phenomenal. But there is something else that you and I can actually do in our own lives. And that is in honor of the Rebbe's 120th birthday, we ourselves can do hundreds of different things, let alone 120 different things that um, could be in the betterment of the performance of a mitzvah, perhaps in our Pesach preparations, perhaps in inviting guests and making sure that people feel comfortable, perhaps in helping to serve our communities, perhaps in uh, the performance of an act of kindness, an act of, of tzedakah, an act of caring. Perhaps it is in putting on tefillin uh, where one doesn't, or perhaps spending a little bit more time in prayer than one ordinarily would. Um, we each have hundreds of different ways that we can do things just a little bit better and a little bit more and a little bit um, wider spread and influence others in order to be able to do the same in honor of this very, very significant date. Yud Aleph Nisan, the 11th of Nisan coming up this week, the Rebbe's 120th birthday. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So what should we be thinking about in these next few days in the build-up to Pesach and perhaps till we speak again, hopefully next week in uh, the few days before Pesach? Uh, well, first of all, one should be attending to the sale of your chametz. Now, a lot of people are a little confused by this sale of chametz and they think that everything has to actually be ready in your home by the time the sale of the chametz has to take place. That isn't correct because the actual sale is actually put through by the Beth Din, by the Beit Din, on the morning just before Pesach, on Friday morning of next week is when the sale of the chametz will actually be done. All that you're doing is you're signing a proxy form which will enable them to sell on your behalf on that day. So it makes no difference actually when you sell, when you officially um, write this down and uh, do the official sale of chametz. It doesn't actually leave your property. It's not actually... Um, 
you selling it at the moment that you write it, that you put it into uh, the computer or whatever um, for the sale of chametz, it actually only takes place on next Friday morning. So you can do it at any time. And in fact, I'd suggest that you do it right away. Um, you can sell chametz either by going to your nearby local rabbi, you can uh, go past the Beth Din and fill in a form there, or you can do it online. And one of the easy ways to access it is by going to ChabadSouthAfrica.org where there is a little pop-up for the sale of chametz, and that will be done through the Johannesburg Bethdin um, on Friday morning just before Pesach on your behalf. So make sure that you attend to the sale of the Chomets in a timeless fashion. Be back with you to sum up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. And so, of course, in these days before Pesach, we should be taking care of all of the things that we need to before Pesach, which include not only, as we mentioned before, the sale of chametz, but one should be thinking about now making your Pesach purchases. You need to make sure that you're well stocked up on the things that you need. No, we don't have to go on binge buying. We don't have to stock up as though there's no tomorrow. Yes, Pesach foods um, do last and they do keep and they uh, uh, can be purchased even um, at a later stage. But you need to make sure that you have enough matzah, matzah to go around for everybody at your seder, matzah to be able to take you through the days of Pesach. You need to make sure that you've got your wine stock. Um, we need to make sure that we have enough wine, grape juice and so on, uh, the beverage of choice that we need to drink and have at our seder table. We need to make sure that we have the various let's call them artifacts the ideas the things that are necessary for the seder the maror um, the bitter herbs uh, which are either horseradish or romaine lettuce we need to make sure that we have all of these things ready and prepared in addition to of course everything else that we need to buy that is kosher for pesach and we need to make sure that we are starting to prepare our homes cleaning making sure that the house is free of chametz. The best way to do that, I guess, is to clean a room, then move out of that room. Don't take any more chametz in there. Um, give your kids and now uh, Pesach Dika foods to eat, Pesach Dika snacks and so on, so that if they do drop crumbs or they do spread things all over the place, then in fact it is already kosher for Pesach and then you don't have that issue, you don't have that problem. And as you work through the home, uh, we're actually performing a refinement of ourselves. It's not only about purifying our homes, getting rid of the chametz, from the home, but actually getting rid of the chametz, which is um, representative of ego, of self-aggrandizement, uh, of self-centeredness, and so on, which we have to work on and try and filter out in these days before Pesach. Those are the preparations. Those are the things we should be focusing on. It's been great chatting to you today, and of course, wonderful to be back in the studio live. Um, hopefully, We'll be able to come to you in this fashion um, in many, many more future shows um, on this uh, Judaism 101.9 slot on a Wednesday afternoon. It's been great being with you. I want to wish you a great rest of the week and a great Shabbat up ahead. And I look forward to being back with you again next week, same time, same place on Judaism 101.9.